Take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus. Exodus, that word means the way out, and that was talking about the Israelites' way out of Egypt, their slavery in Egypt. And uh, ex means out of, odos is the road, the road out of slavery. And we're going to talk about the last five verses in the book of Exodus, chapter 40, and I'll read those in just a moment. The title of the message today is Revival When God's Glory Fills God's House. I have uh, prayed for revival a long time. The Lord gave me this sermon back in January, and I have not preached it at Bellevue to, on Sunday morning. I preached it to the men's conference, but not to the entire congregation. And this week, Don and I took a little time off and uh, I was praying and I just felt strongly that we were supposed to, when we came back, that I was supposed to preach from this text. So uh, I, I want to do that today. In just a moment, I'll be reading uh, from Exodus chapter 40, beginning at verse 34, if you want to go ahead and find that. You and I are living in pivotal days. To pivot, you know, every basketball guy knows how to pivot. To pivot means to change direction quickly. And how many of you believe that many things are changing quickly in America? Anybody believe that? Sure they are. Demonized adults are trying to confuse your children in school about gender. The nuclear family, one, married, one man married to one woman, is declining. Cohabitation, which is, according to Scripture, fornication, is increasing at record numbers. More people are living together with someone of the opposite sex that they're not married to engaging in fornication. I want to say this to you. If that's you, I don't want to just talk about the problem. I want to tell you what to do. Sir, you need to be a man. You need to move out and you need to pay her rent for her to stay in that place by herself. If you're not married to her, move out, pay her rent, pay your own rent but move out. I'm talking about today. I'm talking about don't even eat lunch. Go get your stuff, move out, keep paying her rent, and then either get married or break up. Okay? That's what you need to do if you're living with somebody and you're not married to them. Enough said, but do that. Man, you be the man. Take leadership. I really felt led to say that today. If you disagree with me, just give me a call. We'll talk. I won't be ugly to you, but you know it's the right thing to do. And then churches, they're dying, shutting their doors. It's amazing to me how many church buildings I go by and they've just closed up. Not just because of COVID, but because 
of dying churches. Liberal universities are overtly antagonizing Christian students. Gambling is more prevalent in America than ever before. You can't turn the television on without seeing somebody wanting to bet on something. Why is gambling sin? Because for you to win, a lot of other people have to lose. God is not within a million miles of that. Other people have to lose so you can win. You think that's right? That's covetousness. And the last time I checked, that's the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. Not a lot of amens, but it's all right. It's hardcore covetousness. God doesn't want it. Social drinking has become the norm, even among Christians. Listen, even among some preachers. Blows my mind. Sin that used to slink down dark alleys now strolls down Main Street. Things are pivoting fast, changing fast. So what do we do? What does a Bible-believing church like Bellevue do? And by the way, we are a Bible-preaching, Jesus-preaching church. We believe in Jesus and we believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible is the Word of God, the written Word of God, and Jesus is the living Word of God. We believe there is only one way to God, and that is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's only one book that talks specifically about God and Jesus, and that is the Bible. That's what we believe. So what do we do? Do we just join in with the world? No way. Is there another way? Yes. And I want to talk to you about it today. It's the way of revival. You say, I've heard about revival before. Well, you need to hear about it today. Don't you daydream. If you're starting to nod off, slap yourself. Amen. Don't, don't, don't do it. If, if you can't slap yourself enough, get somebody else to help. I'm just telling you, you need to wake up. I may come out there and adjust you a little bit myself. All right. No, I'm kidding. I won't lay hands on you, but I... I will tell you this. I want you to listen today. I'm not up here entertaining you. This is probably one of the most important sermons I've preached in a long time. Revival is not when people show up to church. You can have people, all the seats filled, but if God doesn't show up, it doesn't matter. That's, there's no revival. No revival. I've said for years, it's not our job as church leaders just to get people to come to church. Oh, I'm glad you came today, and I'm not putting that down. I'm grateful for that. But I'm a lot more interested in God coming to church than I am just people coming to church. You say, what are you talking about, God coming to church? Jesus said, where two or three have gathered together in my name. Don't forget that prepositional phrase. Not just gathered together, but gathered in my name. What does that mean? Gathered to worship me. Gathered to do what I say do. Gathered to honor me. When we show up, we're not just showing up, but we're showing up to look up and to surrender and say, Jesus, we are here in your name. We are here for you. We want you to tell us what to do this week. Did you even think about that? That's, that's why we're here. We're not just here taking up space. 
And it's not our job just to get people to come to church. It's our job to pray and to fast and to seek God and to repent and ask Him to come to church. And when God comes to church, things start happening. People start getting saved. People start getting baptized. People start getting healed. People start growing in grace. And they get right with God. We're not just attracting people. We want to attract God. I want to have a church that draws in the presence of Almighty God. I want the glory of God to fill the house of God. At the end of the book of Exodus, that's what happened. The glory of God filled the house of God, the tabernacle, the tent. Moses, Joshua, all the people had just dedicated that place, the tabernacle to the Lord. And when they did, God showed up. Look at it there in Exodus chapter 40, beginning at verse 34. Then the cloud, everybody say cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud, everybody say the cloud, had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now, whenever the cloud, everybody say the cloud, lifted from the tabernacle, the people of the Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud, everybody say the cloud, did not rise. They remained where they were until it lifted. The cloud, everybody say the cloud, of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day and at night fire glowed inside the cloud. Everybody say the cloud. So the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. I hope that when you go home today, somebody says, what did he preach on? Just say, the cloud. (laughs) The cloud. Father, let your, let, let's just lift our hands to the Lord right now. You pray with me. Father, let the cloud come to Bellevue. Let's say that together. Father, let the cloud come to Bellevue. Let the cloud come to my family. Pray it out loud. Let the cloud come to my family. Let the cloud come to me. Let the cloud come to me. In Jesus' name. And if you pray that, say amen. amen. Well, When God's glory fills God's house, that's revival. Let's look, first of all, at five prerequisites for God's glory. Before God sends His glory, there are a few things that need to take place. God doesn't just show up. He shows up where He's invited. How do you invite God to your home? How do you invite God to your church? By the way, In Revelation 3, I think it's in verse 20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you will hear my voice, open the door, I'll come in and I'll fellowship with you. And for years I was taught, if you'll just open up your heart and let Jesus come in, that's what that's about. That is not, contextually, that is not what that's about. I'm all for Jesus coming into somebody's heart. Don't get me wrong. But don't use that verse to say that's what that means. That's not, he's not trying to get into somebody's heart. He's trying, he's knocking on the door of the church of Laodicea. They have pushed Jesus out of the church and said, we don't need you. That's exactly what it is. You go read the context. And the, the church at Laodicea, they said, we don't need you. We've got our own stuff going on. And Jesus is knocking on the door of his church, trying to get in his own house. Don't tell me Jesus is in the house just because we showed up. No, no. Jesus only goes where he's invited, only stays where he's welcome. Jesus Christ 
Now, when we come to this text that I'm talking about, it's a very important time. God's people are about to receive the law of Leviticus, then they're about to walk into the promised land. God's glory fills the house of God, and God's with His people. Let's look at a few prerequisites for God's glory. First of all, if God's glory is going to fill God's house, God's people must repent. Repent, you know what it means to do a U-turn. It means to turn from your sin, turn from your selfishness, turn from what you want, and turn to God. That's what it means. Revival begins when we turn from our sins and turn to God. Let's go back a few chapters in these prerequisites, and let's look at some of the things that happened before the glory of God filled the house of God. Go all the way back to chapter 32, look at the last verse in chapter 32 of Exodus, and then we'll read the first six verses in the next chapter, chapter 33. So let's look at chapter 32 in Exodus, verse 35. Then the Lord sent a great plague upon the people because they had worshipped the calf Aaron had made. The Bible goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 33, the Lord said to Moses, Get going. You and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt, go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them I will give this land to your descendants. And I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Parasites, Hivites, Jebusites. The Jebusites were in Jerusalem. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, if I did travel with you is what he means, I would surely destroy you along the way. When the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning. They stopped wearing their jewelry and their fine clothes for the Lord had told Moses to tell them, you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I were to travel with you even for a moment, I would destroy you. Remove your jewelry and fine clothes while I decide what to do with you. Hey, you don't decide what to do with God. God decides what to do with you. Amen. So from that time on, they left Mount Sinai, the Israelites were no more wore, wore no more jewelry or fine clothes. God's people had sinned. You remember the story? If you look back just right before that, Moses is up on the mountain. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. He is living in the cloud. Man, he's on the mountain. That cloud came down. God came down. Ten Commandments being written. And the people down below got restless. The preacher was away. They began to play, all right? And so here they are. They're down there, and they go to the, uh, one of the other pastors, you know, Aaron, his, his brother, and they said, hey, we don't know where your brother is. He's left us. Uh, we want another God. We, we, want to, you know, we want to worship another God. Give, give us another God that will guide us henceforth. And so I have no idea what Aaron was thinking. So he, he says, okay, <clears throat> give me your gold jewelry, and I'll make a God. So he gets all their gold jewelry and he makes them a god. He makes a golden calf and they start bowing down to it. That's uh, worshiping other gods. That's idolatry. And after that, immediately, you go read your Bible, they start becoming not only idolatrous but immoral. They cheated on God. If you can cheat on God, it's not hard to cheat on your spouse. And so once you're get, you don't get right with God, 
then you don't get right with your spouse. And those usually go together in the Bible. Idolatry and immorality almost always are pictured together in the Bible, especially in the book of Revelation, but here in the Old Testament. And so Moses comes down. God says, hey, your people are down there messing up. He comes down and he throws the Ten Commandments down on the ground and he has 3,000 of them killed. And he tells them, he said, you're in trouble with God. I want to say this to you. Whether you believe it or not, God will not be mocked. America better listen. God will not be mocked. God is still God. And so, Bible says God was done with them. He said, you stand over there until I figure out what I'm going to do. He already knew what he was going to do, but he just said, until I tell you what I'm going to do. God's people needed to repent. There are people here right now and people watching online who need to repent. You're not right with God. You have unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, and it's time to repent. If you're ever going to repent, it's time to do it. You say, well, what are, what are you talking about? Well, there are some of you. I believe that some people have anxiety because of chemical imbalance. I'm not talking about that. But I believe a lot of people allow themselves to be the devil's punching bag. They don't have a chemical imbalance, but they live in fear and they don't walk in faith, and that's sin. Amen. That's sin. Well, I can't help what I think. What are you talking about? You can't help what you think. The Bible says you can take your thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. When you have a fearful thought come to your mind, I taught this earlier. When you have a fearful thought come to your mind, all you have to do is say, that's not of God. In the name of Jesus, I recognize that. I reject that. I rebuke that. And I replace that with Scripture. And after I do that, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. You say, what are you talking about? I'm talking about taking your thoughts captive. You don't have to be the devil's punching bag. Don't let the devil constantly. Now, again, if you need medicine for a chemical imbalance, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about what many of you are dealing with. You just let the devil beat you up all the time. You get angry. A spirit of anger comes on you and you just, you just let it go. No, just say, no, nah, I'm not going to walk in that. I'm not going to live in anger in the name of Jesus. I recognize that for what that is. I'm going to resist that. I'm going to rebuke that in the name of Jesus. I'm going to replace that with Scripture. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about quoting Scripture and just saying, I will not walk in anger. God has not given me a spirit of fear, but a, but a spirit of, of power and love and of a sound mind. The angry man does not please the Lord. I'm not going to walk in that. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk in, in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and, and, and self-control. I'm not going to live in anger all the time. No, I reject it. I replace it with Scripture. And then I'm asking God, just let me rejoice in His name. And when you do that, things change. You say, I don't remember. I can remember all those words. Just just say, that's not of God. I reject that in the name of Jesus. Quote a scripture and start praising God. Now you can remember that. You can do that. And some of you need to. Some of you have wronged somebody. You need to apologize to them. Some of you have been harsh, mean to your spouse. No wonder you don't want to go home. Many of you don't read your Bible. You had not talked to the Lord 
very much this week at all. Talk to everybody else. She didn't talk to the Lord. And some of you have engaged recently in sexual immorality. You've been looking at pornography. You've been engaged in various types of sexual immorality, adultery, fornication, homosexuality. It's time for you to repent. The Bible says, repent therefore and return that your sins may be washed away. Acts 3.19. So the times of refreshing may come from God's presence into your life. God wants to cleanse you, but you've got to repent. You've got to repent. You want the glory of God to fill the house of God? By the way, your body is the house of God. You want God to fill the house of God? Repent. It's God's people have to repent. Number, number two here in these prerequisites, if you want God's glory to fill God's house, God's leaders must pray and fast. Look at Exodus 33 now. Look at verse 7 and following. It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. Everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent of meeting, all the people would get up and they would stand in the entrances of their own tents. They would all watch Moses until he disappeared inside. As he went into the tent, the pillar of cloud, there it is again, would come down and hover at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. When the people saw the cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, they would stand and bow down in front of their own tents inside the tent of meeting. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua son of Nun, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Moses was a man of prayer. He's talked with God. You spend a lot of time with God, talking with God. Do you? Do you? Or do you spend more time online than you do with God in prayer? Do you go to bed on time so you can get up on time to spend time with God? I want to tell you how to, how to know what time to go to bed. Figure out what time you got to get up and leave an hour in there to read your Bible and pray. If you can't do the whole hour, just hang out with Him. Listen to some Christian music. Spend an hour with God every morning. Say, okay, i got to leave the house at 6. I need to get up at 5. 5! Look at me. Yeah. So, you need at least 7 hours of sleep. Do the math. Go to bed by 10. This is not rocket science. You figure out what time you're going to go to bed based on what time you're going to get up. If you've got to get up at 4, get up at 4. you got to get up at 3, get up at 3. Go to bed on time. So you can get up on time. So you can spend time with God. You can do this. You don't have to watch the evening news. There's nothing new about the news. It's just somebody else's name, all right? It's all the same old stuff. You don't need to know that stuff anyway. What do you care? Just leave it alone. You ever fast? You ever go without food for spiritual purposes? Oh, I can't do that. I take medicine. Anybody can fast. Anybody can fast for one meal. I take medicine. I fast quite a bit. I'm not trying to brag on it. I'm just saying I need the Lord. And so I fast, and I can go a day without food, even though I take medicine. I took medicine this morning. I take medicine tomorrow morning. Everybody can miss one meal. And just during that time, 
What you do is you read your Bible and you pray when you would normally eat. That's all I'm talking about. That's all it is. You can do that. If you want God's glory to fill His house, you need to pray and fast. And if God's glory is going to fill God's house, God's leaders must encounter God. Look at Exodus 34 verse 4. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Now Moses, prior to this, had said, I want to see your glory. I want to see your face. God said, you can't see my face. I'll show you my back. And now God fulfills this promise. Look at this. Then the Lord came down in a cloud. I want God to come down in a cloud in this room, don't you? I want God to come down in our lives in the cloud. Then God, the Lord, came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I'm slow to anger. I'm filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But I do not excuse the guilty. That is, if you won't repent, I don't excuse you. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and their grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generation. I can't tell you how many times over the last 40 years I've had people, especially men, say, it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't affect my family. Yes, it does. It affects your family to the third and fourth generation. When you live in sin, something about that is passed on to them. Spiritually, it's passed on to them. You can't see it, but it happens. If you're living in sin, it's more likely that your children will live in that sin if you don't repent. It's time, it's time to shut it down and say, I'm done with this, and this will not pass on to my future generations. Amen. Moses said, God, show me your glory, and God showed him his glory. Don't you want to see the glory of God in the house of God? Don't you want to come to church and, and realize God is in this place? And don't you want the, the glory of God to be in your house of God? Your body is a temple of God. Don't you want to be a person that has the glory of God on you like Moses? God's leaders, if we're going to have the, God's glory is going to fill his house, God's leaders must encounter the Lord. And then if God's glory is going to fill God's house, God's people must hunger. You got to get hungry for God. Look again in Exodus 34. Look at verse 28 and following. Moses remained there on the mountain with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights, and all that time he ate no bread and drank no water. Now, you can go without food for 40 days, but you can't go without water. That's supernatural that he went without water for 40 days. And the Lord wrote the terms of the covenant, the Ten Commandments on the stone tablets. When Moses came down Mount Sinai carrying the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, he wasn't aware that his face had become radiant because he had spoken to the Lord. So when Aaron and the people of Israel saw the radiance of Moses' face, they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called out to them and asked Aaron and all the leaders of the community to come over and he talked with them. But before he talked with them, he talked with the Lord. Then all the people of Israel approached him, and Moses gave them all the instructions the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with him, he covered his face with a veil, but whenever he went into the tent of meeting to speak with the Lord, he would remain 
remove the veil until he came out again. Then he would give the people whatever instructions the Lord had given him. And the people of Israel would see (coughs) the radiant glow of his face. So he would put the veil over his face until he returned to speak with the Lord. When the people saw the glow of God reflecting, Moses wasn't shining, he was just reflecting the shining of God. He was reflecting the glory of God. They wanted it for themselves. They got hungry for the presence of the Lord. And I'm telling you this, when you start meeting with the Lord and the glory of God gets upon you, people will want what you have. People are sick of dead religion, but they are hungry for the real thing. They are hungry for the glory of God to fill the house of God. And then finally, if God's people, if God's glory is going to fill his house, God's people must give. He says in two verses there in Exodus 35, verses 20 and 21, so the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. Giving is a heart issue. They brought all the materials needed for the tabernacle for the performance of its rituals and for all the sacred garments. God laid on their heart. God touched their heart to give. And I want to say this to you. When the glory of God fills the house of God in your life, you're going to be a giver. You're going to be a giver. You're not going to worry about just tithing. You're going to, you're going to do that but then you're going to give more than that. You're going to give to other people. You're going, to, you're, you're going to realize that your paycheck is not just for you, that it's for the Lord and it's for needy people and you're going to save some of it every time and you're going to make sure that other people in need get their needs met and you're not even going to tell them who gave it to them. You're going to do it not for the glory of man, but for the glory of God. God's going to get you right with your finances when he gets the glory of God in the house of God in your life. I'm telling you he will. Well, those are the prerequisites. Now, once you engage in the prerequisites, the, these other things just happen, all right? Notice next, not just the prerequisites for the glory of God, but the power of God's glory. Look at chapter 40 now. Let's go back to our original text. Let's look at verses 34 and 35. Then the cloud covered the tabernacle, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could no longer enter the tabernacle because the cloud had settled down over it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. When the cloud of God's glory showed up, everything changed. If the glory of God came into this room right now, everything would change. Everything. God's presence was so strong, everything came to a stop. That's what happens when God's glory fills a room. We just stop. Our agenda yields and changes to his agenda. And what if something happened here like happened in this text? What if it was so strong? What if the presence of God was so strong that we couldn't even hardly get into the room? Moses couldn't even enter the tabernacle. The presence of God was so thick. That's revival. That's what's going on up at Asbury. That's what's going on at some of these places around our nation. Revival is when God's agenda takes precedence over our agenda, the power of God's glory. And then thirdly, the priority of God's glory. Look at verses 36 and 37. 
the priority of God's glory. Now, whenever the cloud lifted from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out on their journey following it. But if the cloud did not rise, they remained where they were until it lifted. I don't know what it was like, but I have to believe it was like this. How many of you ever wake up during the night? Anybody wake up during the night? Okay, I do. I got my hands up. When you wake up in the night, talk to the Lord. Just talk to the Lord. He's awake. He's awake. And so I can just see Moses during the day walking out of his tent. He looks over at the tabernacle he's about to go to, and he sees the cloud. He sees the cloud. Cloud's staying still. And because the, God, the cloud's staying still, he can be still. He only moves when the cloud moves. His, his only focus is the cloud. Now, at night, it's still the cloud, but there's fire in the cloud that you can see at night that you can't see during the day. So at night, he just pokes his head out of his tent. Yep, cloud's still there. Fire's still there. Not moving. I'm staying. Now, just imagine... Somebody today with our train of thought that we got to have a five-year plan, a business plan for our church. We got to have this five-year plan. And they come up to Moses and they say, Moses, what is your five-year plan? Moses said, what are you talking about? What's your five-year plan? Where do you see the people of God in five years? like we can tell. How many of you think that if we were here five years ago, we would have even thought about a pandemic, all right? And all the things that have happened since. So Moses said, five-year plan. I don't have one. What do you mean you don't have a, you're the leader, aren't you? Shouldn't you have an agenda? No, I, I don't have an agenda. I got a cloud. And what I do is I'm looking at that cloud. I don't have a five-year plan. I don't have a five-month plan. I don't have a five-week plan. I don't have a five-day plan. I don't have a five-minute plan. I'll tell you what I'm doing right now. I'm looking at the cloud. If that cloud moves, I'm moving with it because I want to walk with the Lord. If that cloud stays put, I'm staying put. I don't care how pretty it looks over yonder, over that hill. I'm going to stay put because I'm going to walk with the Lord. If the cloud goes, I go. If the cloud stays, I stay. I'm following the cloud. Don't tell me there's not a lesson for us. We're out doing everything, all these things. Oh, I'm a Christian. I got to do this. Why don't you just follow the cloud? Why don't you just do what God tells you to do? Don't do everything that everybody else tells you to do. Do what God tells you to do. Move with the cloud. Walk with the cloud. It makes life simple. Wake up. Go to bed on time. Get up on time. Spend time with God. Read the word. Cry out to God. Show me what to do. And then follow the cloud. I just freed up your whole life. Amen. Amen. And by the way, the cloud goes to work. He'll go to work with you. It's all right. That's the priority of God's glory. We're going to focus on God. We're going to do what God says. And that's way more important than what any man says. Number four, finally, let's look at the presence of God's glory. Look at verse 38. 
The cloud of the Lord hovered over the tabernacle during the day. And at night, fire glowed inside the cloud so the whole family of Israel could see it. This continued throughout all their journeys. They lived in the presence of God. In His presence, the Bible says, is fullness of joy. Say that with me. In His presence is fullness of joy. When, God, when God's cloud comes to a church, it doesn't matter where that church is located. I've heard people say all my life, Oh, if you want to grow in church, you've got to get in a good location. Forget that. I know that's not true. It's sure not true about a restaurant. You get a restaurant with good food, it doesn't matter where it's located. I know a steak place or a, a, a rib place downtown Memphis, you've got to go down an alley to get into it. And I go all the time. I love, I love those ribs. And then I go downstairs. I saw hi to Bear, the picture of Bear Bryant on the way down, order ribs, and I'm under a street. Why? The food's good. I don't care where it's located. Size of the building doesn't matter. Color of the skin doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter. Who the pastor is doesn't matter. What the congregation's like doesn't matter. How big the budget is doesn't matter. What matters is the cloud in the house of God. That's what matters. Is the glory of God filling the house of God? If it is, that'll change everything. That's all we need. We just need the cloud. 